Hello, and welcome to MGMA Small Talk, where we discuss issues facing practice administrators across the healthcare world. I'm Shannon Geis, staff writer and editor at MGMA, and today I'm speaking with Susan Murphy, a business and organizational consultant with 25 years of experience. She is the author of the book Maximizing Performance Management, and she has a feature article in the August issue of MGMA Connection magazine called Diagnose the Health of Your Medical Practice. Susan is here with us today to talk about steps you can take to identify issues in your practice and address them. Welcome, Susan. Thank you, Shannon, for inviting me today. Um, so first, one of the things that you discuss in your article in the August issue of Connection addresses the idea of assessing the health of your practice. Why is that important and why should practice administrators be thinking about that? In order to start improving any system, I believe you need to figure out where you are right now, like the GPS system in your car. Before you can go toward the destination, you'll need to determine exactly where you are with regards to the many different aspects of your practice. And in the article, as well as in our newest book, I compare medical practices to our body that has many systems. And every system plays a role in the effectiveness of the practice. Now, leaders must be proactive. We all agree with that. And, and I like what Jack Welsh, who was the former CEO of General Electric, said about being proactive. He said, quote, if the amount of change inside an organization is less than the amount of change outside, then the end is in sight. So since the rate of change is accelerating, especially in healthcare, it's more important than ever that we continuously stay alert to changes needed for every system in the ongoing practice. So we need to find out where we are right now. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and so what are some of those steps that you can take um, in order to assess your practice? Well, in the article, I offer an assessment tool that leaders can use in their practices right now. It consists of 20 characteristics that I have, it's based on my research of what I've found in high performing teams. So for each characteristic, things like, is the mission clear? What's the level of trust? Are the roles clear? What's communication like? team members can honestly and anonymously provide their view of what's occurring in the practice. In fact, from my experience, I found that when you're in a leadership role, it can be quite difficult to receive accurate information about how things are going. And an anonymous assessment like this can help get you some honest feedback. Otherwise, some team members won't tell you because they're either afraid of repercussions or they think you already know and have chosen not to do anything about that aspect. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Um, and so once you've done this assessment, what are the ways that you can use this to improve the effectiveness of your team? The assessment examines 20 different areas that are important to these high performing teams. So you'll be able to see which areas are going well and the areas that could use improvement. And I like to start with the areas going well. So we need to celebrate the successes and commit to keeping focused on these areas going well. So if, you, if they say the mission is clear and you can be excited about it, you've got to keep focused on that so that you continue to keep the mission clear. For areas that score low, talk with your team about these areas. And I suggest you strategize on how to make those areas better, including them. In fact, often the areas that score low are the areas of celebration and the areas of recognition. And these are things that leaders can start to improve 
today, right now. You can start celebrating your successes, plus you can ensure that you and others are giving recognition when there's good performance. When I'm called in as a consultant to conduct an in-depth assessment, which I often do, I meet with one-to-one with the members of the team and do interviews. And my first question is usually, if it were perfect here, what would be occurring? Now, this question can be very powerful to take them from a negative critique to one of hope, excitement, and focus on the future. So the question is, if it were perfect here, what would be occurring? I think that sort of ties into uh, the idea of organizational goals. Um, And why do you think that um, organizations should set out goals for improvement and and, um, improving their practice? Okay, I think that you and your organization, if you don't set goals, you won't know where you're headed. Would you get in an airplane not knowing where it's going to land? A goal is an end toward which you direct specific effort, where the mission and the vision and the values of an organization are general intentions. Goals are specific and measurable accomplishments to be achieved within a specified time and under specific cost constraints. So I believe it's important that we set goals for for several reasons, and I'm going to provide four of them for you today. One is goals establish directions for ongoing activities. They also identify the expected results. They also improve teamwork through a common sense of purpose. And they heighten performance levels by setting targets to be achieved. There's a goal about those who don't set deadlines for accomplishing their goals. And the joke says that if you're <laughs> that you're headed for Sunday aisle if you don't set goals and deadlines. Because life is it makes their life a series of, well, some someday I'll do this or someday I'll do that. So they call it someday aisle. I believe a goal is a dream with a deadline. And so how could you maybe use the assessment um, to help develop goals and purpose for your organization? Is there some tips you have for, for doing that? Yes. The purpose of an organization is the reason it exists. That's what's the purpose or the mission statement of it. And it actually describes what business you're in, what you're seeking to do, and what you're trying to accomplish for the customers. And of course, in healthcare, that's the patients. So medical practices need to involve the leadership, the physicians and the managers in determining their mission statement and purpose of the practice, and then develop the goals that reflect that mission. A good mission statement inspires commitment. It serves as the credo for the leaders, and it tells you what do you want to be remembered for. I found that you can even use the mission statement to help in decision making. Now, a mission or purpose statement will fail if it's too fuzzy or it lacks leadership support and if it's poorly implemented. Um, I encourage, in fact, I encourage my clients to display their mission statement in their offices, just right there in the in the front room, on their bills, and even print it on the back of their business cards so it will be ever present. And once the purpose is determined, then the goals are developed by the leadership. And all the leaders should know the goals and make them SMART goals, specific, measurable, achievable, results-oriented, and time-bounds. 
make sure the goals are communicated to everyone on the team and that progress is tracked. I believe we've got to make the goals visible so people know every day what they're supposed to focus on and what the achievements are expected to be. Mm -hmm. And what is the role for practice administrators in trying to lead the practice through these goals? Is it, um, should they be the ones really leading that process or um, should they take on a different role in regards to that? Oh, I think they need to be leading that role. Most physicians and PAs and nurse practitioners don't necessarily want to be involved in the management and the leadership of the practice. And I believe that the, the practice administrators have a huge job that directly affects the health of the patients and the health of the medical practice. The practice administrators so should have a key role in leading through these goals. They should be involved in the development of them and ensure that the, that the practice communicates them to all the team members. Communication is key. And I believe the administrator needs to negotiate with the medical leadership and have a clear leadership role that's actually written down so the physicians as well as the practice manager know clearly what their role is. And the practice administrators need to spearhead the development of the culture and the environment, inspire the team, clarify the roles and responsibilities, hire and fire and build the team and keep track of the goals. It's a huge job. Yeah, definitely. And continuing with the idea of leadership, one of the methods of leadership you describe in your book um, is called situational leadership. Can you talk about what that means and how um, practice administrators can use that um, in their own day-to-day? I really enjoy this model, the situational leadership model. In fact, I conducted a webinar last year for MGMA on this model that explained it in a lot of detail. And this, this model's been around for about 40 years, and it's, I believe, a brilliant yet common-sense model that says the manager uses a leadership style based on the needs of the employee not the preference of the leader. So the title situational leadership refers to the situation that the employee is in, how mature they are in their job. So for new employees, the manager makes sure that the employee gets a thorough orientation, understands what the job entails, and is thoroughly trained and trusted before the manager starts to delegate to that employee. And once the employee can do the job, then the manager can delegate to them. So this model says you lead each employee differently, and yet you expect that every employee that you have will eventually learn his or her job and that you can delegate to them. Learning to delegate is an important component of the model, and I believe it's important for practice administrators so that you can start to let go of some of these details and trust the people around you to be able to do their job. The idea of letting go can be uh, uh, tricky for some leaders. Uh, do you have any tips for, you know, helping to give up some of that that um, hands-on leadership and delegating? Oh, that's right. And that's why I think this model is so beautiful because it really shows you step-by-step step how to go from, from directing and coaching the employee to really letting go and delegating to them. And so you need to be able to trust yourself as well as trust the employee to be able to do the job. Some people have, some leaders have found that if they 
keep track of whom they've delegated to and what they've delegated, maybe even write it down, have a delegation book so that you know who's got, who's working on it. And then you can follow up with those employees on that. Because we've all had those times at 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. where you wake up and you go, oh my gosh, I wonder what's going on with that project or that assignment. And then you can follow up immediately the next day with that employee. Um, So another topic you've written about is running effective meetings, which is something I think we all would like to be able to do. Um, What are some of the tips you would give for uh, improving um, meetings? Well, thanks for asking about running effective meetings. I believe that when you improve your meetings, you can actually improve your organization or culture because effective meetings not only improve teamwork, they improve communication, morale, self-esteem, commitment, and can ultimately improve the interactions with the patients and productivity. In fact, there's a, there's a joke about meetings that says, the definition of a meeting is an event where minutes are taken and hours are wasted. <laughs> People report that at least 25% of time in meetings is wasted. And I actually believe it's even more than 25% most of the time. So some tips are to ensure that there's a clear purpose for every meeting. So many times I hear people come to meetings and say to the person next to them, so now what's this meeting about? So the idea is to have a clear purpose for the meeting, have an agenda. Before you go to the meeting, determine your role in the meeting. Why are you included in this meeting? Is it the best use of your time? And is there something you need to contribute to this? And then follow the rules of good minutes, which means they're published within 24 hours and sent to every participant of the meeting and also other interested parties. Many meetings don't start on time or end on time. And when you start meetings on time and end on time, you can increase the discipline in your culture because you're saying time is important around here. And also many leaders don't stick to an agenda and often people who attend don't need to be there. One thing I recommend with regard to a the effectiveness of a meeting is to calculate and learn to calculate the cost of a meeting. For example, if you've got five people in a meeting and let's say each of them earns about $100 an hour, at the end of an hour, that meeting would have cost $500. So is what you covered in that meeting worth $500? Just something to help you quantify the impact of each meeting. That's a really great tip. Uh, So you recently led a webinar on understanding gender differences. Um, So can you talk a little bit about how those differences affect the workplace and what leaders can do to address them? Yes, I'll give you some examples of that. In fact, I've been writing and speaking about gender differences that now I call gender intelligence for over 20 years. And I, I find that this topic, understanding it well, helps me professionally as well as personally in my personal life. Uh, Men and women are similar in many, many ways, but it's the differences that get in our way. So in in the webinar, as well as in our book, I talk about the differences and how men and women are raised, our brain and our hormonal differences and how this impacts adults, how we all behave and how we see the world. 
One difference, one gender difference, is that men often see the world as a hierarchy where they're striving for power and status, where women are often more relational and see the power to uh, and see the need to, to share power with others. So if leaders are aware of this gender difference, then you can even make your meetings more effective. For example, I'll give you a statistic. When, when there's an interruption in a meeting where men and women are in the meeting, 96% of the time, in fact, almost 100% of the time, it's a man interrupting a woman. So it's up to the leader in medical practices to be aware of this so they can ensure that everybody on the team is able to communicate and contribute in the meetings. And so the women aren't cut off and they're able to complete their ideas and they may have the solution to the problem that you're trying to figure out. And this, this fact even carries over to how male physicians um, interact with patients. Now, this is just a natural thing that isn't good or bad or right or wrong. It's just that how guys, you can see the little on the play yard where little boys are talking on top of each other, which is different from how little girls talk, uh, talk with each other. And one study showed that male physicians often interrupt their patients after only 18 seconds of having the patient talk about why they're there. So the patient may not feel they're listened to, and this, of course, can affect your level of patient satisfaction. So this is just one example of how gender is important in the workplace. And, um, and we talk about many others of them in the webinar as well as uh, in our book. So I encourage everybody to read about gender intelligence. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, and I, I think it's really interesting that you brought that back to the meetings and how it can really affect the dynamic of, of meetings. Um, in fact, Shannon, there, there are so many other ways. And I'm just going to talk just briefly about meetings because in meetings, and this is all research, and this is talking about most men and most women, and so there are always exceptions too. Mm -hmm. But in meetings, men often speak more loudly while women often speak uh, quieter. It, um, with a lower volume. Men will also be more declamatory and say, I know this is the way we should go with this project, mm. where women often ask questions about it and say, don't you think this is a good way we should go with this project, where the guys often see the woman is not being very sure of herself, and therefore they may not pay, she seems curious, rather than having a very good idea about that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so I guess then if you are more aware of these kinds of things, you can, as, a, as someone leading a meeting, can really, um, you know, pay attention to that and, and uh, facilitate better, right? Absolutely. So if you see that a woman is being cut off by a guy who's just being himself, what you can do is say, do you know, it sounds like Anne had a really good point she was about to make. Anne, can you go ahead and finish what you were saying? Just that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, we've covered a lot of really great information already. Um, do you have any other uh, tips that you would want to give practice administrators about how they can improve their practice and maximize their performance? One tip I have is that we all need to take care of ourselves. I found that so many leaders are just running ragged from all the things they're trying to juggle and make happen and their goals and the 
employees and the patients and the government and all those. And so to truly take care of you because your team is depending on you. Other tips are to be proactive and coach and mentor your team. Catch them doing something right. Comment when you see them performing well, maybe doing well on a phone call with a patient or an interaction that they're doing well, or the way that they are uh, managing conflict in a positive way. There's something called FAST feedback, which stands for frequent, accurate, specific, and timely. So give your team members FAST feedback. And you might want to conduct stay interviews one-on-one -on -one with them. Find out how they're doing, what you could do to make them be even more excited about being in the practice and to be even a better high performer on the team. And of course, perform the assessment to discover how your team views the practice and be visible. The Tom Peters years ago talked about MBWA, which means management by walking around. Walk around and catch people doing things right and celebrate what's going well. That's wonderful advice. Thank you, Susan, for taking the time to talk with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, to check out Susan's article in the August issue of MGMA Connection Magazine and to learn more about maximizing your practice's performance, visit mgma.org slash podcasts.